Father, we just thank you uh, for your word, and Lord, especially uh, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, Lord. Today, as we come to chapter 21, and you, uh, we get this uh, information about eternity, Lord, and you give us a peek into, in our future, uh, uh, as great as the millennium is going to be, Lord, the eternity is going to even be that much greater, and we all want to be part of that, Lord, and uh, as we look at this, Lord, uh, help us to see just, just how much you love us and, Lord, how much we should love you, uh, that you would die for us and uh, set these things in order so that we can have such a grand and glorious future in you. Father, and you are the main attraction of eternity. You, are the main, you should now be the main attraction of our lives. We need to, we need to learn to make you just that, Lord, in the lives that we live. We need to drink from those living waters that you provide to us, Lord, and so that we can find the joy and peace and contentment that, that we don't have to wait till eternity for, that we can find in Jesus Christ now. So, Lord, I just ask you to teach us these lessons today as, as we look at this fascinating text in Revelation chapter 21, Lord, and just, just open our spiritual eyes to to see the new heaven and the new earth and just give us a peek of, of what a glorious future we have. We ask you to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Once upon a time, there were two brothers who loved to play baseball. They loved to play baseball with each other more than anything else. And uh, one of the brothers, the younger brother, got sick. And, uh, and it was a... Uh, fatal disease, it was really bad, and uh, before he died, his older brother asked him, he said, I want you to do one thing for me, uh, when you get to heaven, I want you to somehow get word back to me whether or not they play baseball in heaven, and, and with his last words, his last words, he said, I'll do my best, and he died. Well, years passed. And the older brother never heard from his younger brother, and, and he had just about given it up. And then one night he had a vision, and his younger brother appeared to him, and he told him, he said, I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. Uh, he, he, and so, he, so the older brother said, give it to me. He said, the good news is there is baseball in heaven. The bad news, I've seen the roster for the week, and you're pitching Wednesday. Now, the reason I t told that joke is because it serves as sort of a character of what most people believe about heaven and eternity. Uh, most people believe that it really is nothing more than just a continuance of the life in which we live, just on better terms. I mean, uh, it's a much more beautiful place. Uh, it's a much more peaceful, peaceful place. And we've got as long as we want to do whatever we want. And that's the way most people uh, see heaven. And in one sense, that is true. You will have all the time in the world to do what you want when you get to eternity. Uh, but uh, I doubt that the most important thing to you when you get to eternity will be playing baseball or doing any of the things that we do now. Because... Uh, uh, those kind of things are going to head to the bottom of the list. I can tell you that right now. When we get to glory, when we get to glory, we're going to see things and hear things 
and feel things uh, that we've never seen or heard or felt before. We're going to see things of unfathomable beauty. Uh, we're going to see angels in all of their majesty. Uh, we're going to see a new earth. And on this new earth, we're going to see uh, the creation restored. And we're going to see all these animals in their perfect form. We're going to even see these animals that, have, that are now extinct. We're going to be able to see those animals. And they're going to be docile to the point that we'll be able to reach out and touch these animals without any fear of, of uh, them biting us or hurting us. I mean, can you imagine walking on earth with a uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex? I mean, something like that. Uh, and, and I believe there will be species of animals on earth that we've never thought of, that we've never dreamed even existed in the mind of God. And then you're going to, this whole planet of Earth is going to be blanketed in plants and trees and, and uh, flowers and, and, and running through the middle of, those, of the Earth will be all of these beautiful, pure streams and these majestic waterfalls. And hey, that's not all. all. There's going to be a new heaven and with all of these stars, all these glorious stars and all of these galaxies. And I believe that in eternity, we're going to be able to explore all of these places, and we're going to have an eternity to do that. But uh, I don't know if we're ever going to want to leave home, because let me tell you where we're going to live. We're going to be living in the New Jerusalem, and, and, which is the greatest city. It'll be the greatest city. It's the greatest city ever, so it's going to be the greatest city on earth, because it is the city of God. And with all that's going on in eternity, who's going to care about playing baseball? For that matter, who's going to care about any of the things that we call important now in our lives? I mean, some of the things are going to be there that are important. There are good things that are going to be there. But there are a lot of things that we do that are nothing more than vanity that when we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to care that much about those things. I like golf. And I can imagine what kind of golf courses there could be in heaven. But I doubt I'm going to care too much about playing golf. Uh, so things are going to change. And uh, as great as the new earth is going to be, and as great as the new heaven's going to be, as great as eternity's going to be, the main attraction is not the new heaven or the, the new earth. Let me tell you what the main attraction of heaven is, and the main attraction of eternity is, the main attraction of the new earth. It is none other than Jesus Christ in all his glory. I mean, can you imagine God dwelling with us? I mean, in his physical presence forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's the vision that John gets here, uh, and he shares with us begin in chapter 21. So I want to pick up in that vision. You're going to see some fascinating things here and learn some fascinating things if you pay attention. So let's go to, let's go to chapter 21, and let's pick up in verse number 1. And here's John. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and he, listen to what he says. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He's looking into the future. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And then he says, by the way, there is no more sea. Now, why would that be so exciting to John? Uh, because John got up every morning and he lived on a little island that was about two miles by six miles, two miles wide and six miles long. And all he could see was sea. I mean, when he looked to the left, he saw sea. When he looked to the right, he saw sea. When he, when he got up in the morning, he saw sea. When he went to bed at night, he saw the sea. And now he says, hey, there is no more sea. I'm excited there's no more sea. Now, I, I don't know that that 
is the literal meaning there. I think that word see is symbolic of the lost masses, the mass populations of this world. They won't be in eternity. Uh, I think another symbol that we see in the sea is that what does the sea do? It divides the nations. And so there will be no more division between the nations. We will all be one nation. We'll all be one people. And so we won't have the seas dividing us. Now, there actually might be large bodies of water, but it won't be so large that it separates the nations or the peoples uh, from, from each other. Now, look at the first thing that he sees in this vision of eternity. He sees a new heaven and a new earth. Now, for there to be a new heaven and a new earth, what happens, has to happen to the old heaven and the earth, the old earth, the one on which we're living right now? It's got to go away. And so he says it has passed away. How does it pass away? Well, we know from 2 Peter, how, how, how does it pass away? It passes away through fire. Go with me to 2 Peter. Go back a few books to 2 Peter. And I'm going to back up a little bit, but go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. I was going to pick up in verse number 8, but there's something I want you to see here. I want, I want, I want you to go back to verse number 5. We, we went through this not too long ago, but just to kind of refresh our memories. Look back at verse number 5. For this they willing, all the scoffers who say, hey, you know, where's the Lord? I thought he was coming. You say he's coming. He hasn't come. Uh, he's been saying that for centuries. Where is he at? Uh, in verse number 5 it says, For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, y'all catch that? By the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in water. How was the world created? It was created by the word of God. How were our galaxies created? How were the stars and planets created? By the word of God. By which this, verse number 6, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with the water. So God's not adverse to destroying a wicked world. So he's going to do it again. He says, in, he says in verse number 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.17 that Jesus holds all things together. How does he hold them together? By his word. By the same word that created the heavens and earth, those things are now held together. He says, but the heavens and earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for what? Eventually for fire under the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now here's what I want you to look at right here and I want you to think about a minute. When does the perdition of ungodly men come? Do you remember, those of you that have been following us through Revelation, at what point do we see the total destruction, when, at what point are wicked men and women cast into hell? When does that happen? It happens after that last rebellion that Satan has on, uh, where he rebels against God and he raises up all of these masses of people who come against Jesus in Jerusalem and Jesus destroys them. When does that happen? It happens at the end of the millennium. So he's jumping all the way to the end of the millennium to the great white throne judgment seat when these people are judged and then they're cast into the lake of fire and there they are tormented forever and ever and ever and ever. So watch this now because this is really interesting the way he approaches this. Then in verse number 8 he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. 
The Lord can do anything he wants with time. He, he, he's in eternity. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing, I love this line, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, but, even though he's, he, he loves people, and he wants to see people say, but one day the day of the Lord is coming. He's going to say, I've had enough. And I don't think we're too far off from that point. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, how does a thief come at night? He comes unexpectedly. So at any moment is what Peter is saying, the Lord could come and the day of the Lord begin. Peter knew that. We know that now. That at any moment that God chooses, the Lord could come as a thief of the night. Now, let me, how does he come? The, how, how does the day of the Lord begin? Do you remember how the day of the Lord begins? It begins with the rapture of the church. That's why it's like a thief in the night. It begins with the rapture of the church. Then the world goes into the great tribulation. Then at the end of the great tribulation, we go into the millennium. Then at the end of the millennium, there's this rebellion of Satan and a, the rebellion of all the peoples of the world. And then uh, there's the great right throne judgment. And then we, the heavens and the new heavens and the new earth are destroyed. And then we, I mean, the old heavens and the old earth are destroyed. And then we go into eternity with a new heaven and a new earth. And all of that could start at any moment. It, could, it will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Now, when Jesus comes for his church, the heavens and earth aren't going to pass away at that point. He's, he's doing what's called prophetic foreshortening. He's talking about some events that are going to take place, and he's not giving us the distances uh, between those events in time. He's not giving us that information. But, he, but we know that it can begin, the day of the Lord can begin at any moment with the rapture of the church, and at the, before we go into eternity, which, and eternity is part of the day of the Lord, before we go into eternity, then the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In other words, this could happen at any moment. And you need to be ready for this to happen because if you get caught off guard and you're not, you're not ready for the coming of Jesus Christ, then you're going to be part of the destruction of this earth. You're going to be... You're going to be, you're going to be uh, you're going to, uh, at the great white throne judgment seat, you're going to be sentenced to the lake of fire, and then the earth is going to, and the, and the heavens are going to be destroyed. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, we look for new heavens. In other words, he's not going to be done with mankind at that point. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. All right, now, Isaiah records that same prediction, and he gives us some more insight over in Isaiah chapter 65. So go back with me to Isaiah. You can find Isaiah back there somewhere around the middle of the Bible. He's the very... Big book, so it's easy to find. But find Isaiah chapter 65 and listen to what he says. He says in verse number 17, he says, For 
um, in Isaiah 65, 17. He says, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. And the formal, former, the old heaven and the old earth shall not be remembered or come to mind. Now let me ask you a question. If he creates a new heaven and a new earth, how is that going to make us forget about the old heaven and the old earth? Let me tell you why. Because it's going to be so much more majestic that, in, that there's no comparison between the old earth and the, and the old heaven and the new earth and the new heaven. Now, we get some insight here. And this is why I came back to this verse. Uh, the Hebrew word there, and, and we're st still in Isaiah 65, 17, the Hebrew word there for create, and I don't want to bore you with the Hebrew, but it's, a, it's the Hebrew word bara. And what it means, it means to create out of nothing, which means it's created the same way as Peter said, by the word of God, the same way the original creation was created by the very word of God. And so if it's made out of nothing, then what we're looking at here, we're not looking at a refurbished earth, we're not looking at a refurbished heaven, but we're looking at an entirely new place, much more wonderful than anything we can possibly imagine. We're going to be looking at a new heaven and a new earth. And so it's going to be so much more wonderful. Hey, the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. You're not going to be in the new heaven and new earth and say, man, let me tell you about the time I went to Disneyland. Or let me tell you about the time I went to the Grand Canyon. Oh, let me tell you what I saw yesterday. Let me tell you what we're going to look at today. I mean, there, there's so much. It's going to be that much more beautiful and wonderful that, uh, hey, we're going we're to forget about the, the, old, uh, the old heaven and the old earth. Now, what's he talking about when he says, I'm going to create a new heaven? Now, that's interesting to me. And in Hebrew thought, there are three heavens. You have the heaven that amounts to our atmosphere, above the earth, you have the, that's the first heaven. The second heaven are, are the, the, is outer space with the stars and the galaxies. And what's the third heaven? Remember Paul said he had a vision of the third heaven? When he went to the third heaven, where did Paul go? He went to the dwelling place of God. All right, so, so when, when, back to Revelation, or no, stay there, because no, we're going to go one more verse in Isaiah, but but back in Revelation, and right here in Isaiah chapter 65, when it says, I'll create a new heavens, uh, what heavens is he talking about? He's not talking about our atmosphere, because our atmosphere will be part of the new earth. So he's not talking about that. He's certainly not talking about the heaven where God dwells, because the heaven where God dwells is not going to be destroyed by fire. The heaven where God dwells is absolutely perfect, and how can you improve on perfect so you so it's 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 not gonna you, you, that heaven is not going to be burned up by fire that's not going to happen we're looking at a new heaven we're looking at a new outer space we're looking at new planets and new galaxies now let me tell you what is going to happen the the uh the old heaven i mean the i'm i'm sorry the third heaven is going to come to earth during eternity, we're going to have, actually have heaven on earth. But before that happens, then, then the, the second heaven is going to be destroyed. Go, go with me to Isaiah chapter 34, and he describes the destruction of the second heaven there 
in Isaiah 34. Look in verse number 4. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. I mean, all the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies of heaven shall be dissolved. And the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll, and their host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine, as the fruit is falling from the fig tree. And so, uh, as beautiful as all the stars are, I mean, you look out on a beautiful starry night, and as beautiful as they are, they're all coming down. All those galaxies, those billions and billions of galaxies in outer space, they're all coming down, and they're going to be made new. And can you imagine, as beautiful as they are, how beautiful they are when they're going to be when they're made new? All right, now, it gets even better. Go back to Revelation. In Revelation chapter 21 again. I lost my place. And look at verse number 2. Then John, listen to what John says. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I, you know, to me, I've done several weddings and, and uh, about to do some more. And uh, the, the most exciting part of the wedding, hey, we know the most exciting part of the wedding when that wedding march begins to play and that bride adorned in all of her beauty, she comes, here, here she comes now. She's walking in right, you can look back, she's coming in right now. Right on cue. Hopefully she's more beautiful than that, but no, that's beautiful, beautiful bride right there. But she's, anyway, she comes down that aisle adorned in her wedding gown. She's all made up and, and, and you know, you see the, the groom, a lot of times you see tears rolling down his eyes. He's just amazed at how beautiful she is. And, and, and what an exciting time that is, gonna, that, that is in a wedding. Well, think of how exciting it's going to be when we see heaven, the new Jerusalem of heaven, coming in all her glory, coming down to the earth. And, and coming out of the dimension of heaven into the dimension of earth, to be part of earth forever and ever and ever and ever. You know, it's called the New Jerusalem, but actually it's the oldest city in the world. It's new to earth, but it's not new to heaven. The New Jerusalem is the eternal city. It's a city the author of Hebrews described in Hebrews 12. Listen to what he says. As Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of innumerable company of angels, the place of the general assembly of the firstborn, that's us, who are registered in heaven, the place of God, the judge of all, of all the place of the spirits of man, he has justified and made perfect. And here you see this grand city coming down to the earth. Now here's the question that I want to ponder for a second. Why out of all the stars in the universe and of all the galaxies and out of all the planets why did God choose to come bring his heavenly city down to earth and dwell with men forever and ever and ever you know David pondered that question over in Psalms chapter 8 you don't have to flip there but let me read for you what he says he says when I consider your heavens 
and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? What am I, David says, that you're mindful of me? And the son of man that you would even visit him. Now I can just see David. He, he's, he's out in the fields. He's a young shepherd boy. And he's got his sheep uh, settled down for the night. And he lays down in the grass and he, he looks up at the stars. Now, you do that in, uh, anywhere around Lafayette, you're not going to see much. You'll see a couple of stars. But I remember when we lived in Las Vegas, we used to love to go camping in Mount Zion. And I know why they called it Zion, because it's almost like you could see heaven. I mean, because you would lay there, you know, you, you, we, we, we took a tent, but you would just you'd take your sleeping bag outside and just lay there and look up at the stars. And it was this, you could bring, you could touch those stars. It was this, you were right at the edge of heaven. And so David looks up at all of that beauty and he sees all of those stars and he sees all of those, those, those galaxies and he says, you know, what am I that you're mindful of me? What is this little planet that you care so much about it? Uh, what are we? We're nothing more than a microscopic speck of matter when it comes to the entire universe. Why are you so mindful of us? I mean, you know, scientists tell us that the sun is 110 times bigger than the earth. It's 860,000 miles in diameter, but it's really a little star. You go out into the galaxy and there's stars like Canis Majoris, which is 1,500 times bigger than the sun. Then stop and think about it. You realize that in the Milky Way galaxy alone, there are one, over 100 billion planets in the Milky Way galaxy alone. And you know, scientists so far have numbered the galaxies at 150 billion galaxies. There are 150 billion galaxies out there, and, and they, haven't even, they don't even know how many they are. Personally, I think it's an infinite number of stars and planets and galaxies. And you've got to ask the question, with all of that, Lord, what are, you know, why do you care about us? I mean, why have you chosen earth for your eternal dwelling place? Why have you chose earth to be the center of the universe? And all of these bozos, I'll just call them what they are, who say the earth is not the center of the universe. Well, we can't say that. We're, you know, we're, we're just a speck in, the, in, 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 in space. No, the earth is the center of the universe. And, and, and I know that because God has chosen the earth for his eternal dwelling place. But why? Why choose earth? Because that's the home of human beings created in God's image. The prime jewels of his creation. That's who you are. You're the prime jewel of God's creation. Nobody thinks that way anymore. I mean, the devil's done a great job of snowing us all into thinking we're nothing more than worms or less than worms. We're less than dogs. We might as well act like dogs. We descend from apes. I mean, that's all we are. No, you are created in the image of God. You are God's pearl of great price. And that's why Satan hates you so much. And that's why he set his sights on destroying you. And that's why... He set his sights on degrading you through sin. 
That's why he wants to get you to rebel against God. That's why he wants to get you to fall. And he's done a really good job of it. Because most of us feel like we're worthless. We feel like we're nothing when we're God's children, created in the image of God. I love what John says in John chapter 1, verse 12. To as many as receive Jesus Christ, to them he gives power to become sons and daughters of God. And you know what John's saying right there? To restore us back to our proper place in the creation as sons and daughters of God. And that's why Jesus came to this earth. I, you know what? One of the reasons I know that, that we're God's jewels and I know that we're created in the image of God because God, Jesus didn't choose to become an animal. He didn't choose to become an angel. He choose, chose to become a human being for eternity. And so if God chooses our form to, 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 to carry out his eternal existence, then it shows us just how important we are to him. Look at verse number 3. And I heard a voice a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, look at this. The tabernacle of God is with man. Out of all those stars, out of all those galaxies, the dwelling place, the tabernacle, God has pitched his tent with men. And he will dwell with them forever and ever and ever and ever, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. You know, a lot of scientists say there's got to be life on other planets. There very well might be life on other planets. They might be, you know, there might be aliens out there as scary as some of the ones we see in these science fiction movies. They might be out there. But God's not one of them. God has chosen to be a man. That's the highest life form. It has to be the highest life form. Or God wouldn't choose anything else lesser than that life form. He's chosen to live eternity as one of us to tabernacle with us forever and ever and ever and ever. But let me tell you, what makes it so dangerous is this. Part of being a human being is that we have a choice. We can choose to love God or we can choose to love this world. And when we love this world, you might not realize it, but what you're doing, you're loving the devil. And when you choose God, and you choose to love God, you become the children of God, and you will dwell with God forever and ever and ever. You choose to love this world and to reject God and rebel against God and to sin in the face of God, then let me tell you what, you're choosing the devil and you're choosing a life in hell forever and ever and ever and ever. What's the choice? It's a no-brainer. Choose God. How foolish is it that we, people don't choose God? They, but they won't even give God a chance. They just say, you know, what, you know how they just push God out of the picture? They say, I don't believe in God. Well, let me tell you what, it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. God is real, and he exists. And all you have to do is to give your life to Jesus Christ. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, let me tell you what, you'll know he's real. He'll reveal himself to you, and you will know he's real. But most people 
choose hell. And they choose this world. And they choose the devil. I'm talking about this world system. This antichrist system. They choose that and they embrace that. The vast majority of the people in this country embrace this godless system. This, this world system. And that's why this world is cursed. And that's why there's pain. And that's why there's death. And that's why there's sorrow. And that's why there's tears. Because we're told in Romans 8 that God subjected the world to this curse in hope. He, 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 he subjected us to the curse in hope. In hope that the pain and suffering and tears will cause us to choose him. To not choose a world of destruction and sin, but choose life and truth and righteousness. That's a choice. But he cursed this world to get us to make that choice. But guess what? In eternity, the only people who are going to be there are going to be those who have chosen him. Those who want to dwell with him forever, and he's going to dwell with them. And so there will be no more curse. Look at verse number 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Where's the curse in eternity? It's gone. Where's sin in eternity? It's gone. Where's the devil in eternity? He's gone. It's all gone. All of that evil stuff is gone. And verse number five, Then he he who sat on the throne said, Behold, watch this, I make all things new. All things new. And he said to me, write this down, for these words are true and faithful. They're coming from the one who is true and faithful. Who is the one who sits on the throne? It's the main attraction of heaven. It's none other than Jesus Christ. And he makes all things new. He makes all things new forever new. Forever new. You know what that means? In eternity, there's no more law of the second law of thermodynamics. It is gone. You know what the second law of thermodynamics is? It means that out of order comes chaos. Everything is moving from order to chaos. Everything is moving, or you can put it another way, everything is moving from new to old. It gets older and older and older. You don't believe that? Go buy you a new car. You don't even have to drive it. Set it out in your driveway and leave it for 10 years and then go try to crank it. Or maybe 20 years. They make them better now than they used to. They used to be, if you left them out a year, they were toast. You leave a Harley Davidson out for a month or two months in, in, in bad weather and you won't be able to crank it. I can tell you right now. You don't have to, not, you don't have to drive it. You don't have to wear it down or anything. It's going to get old. We live in a universe where, the, where you take a top and you spin it, it's going to eventually uh, quit spinning because everything is moving from order to disorder. But listen to what Jesus says. In eternity, behold, I make all things new. In other words, everything will be made new and it will stay new forever. There will be no law of second... The second law of thermodynamics, that's, that's over. Everything's made new, and it stays new. I mean, that means that old dog I got, when I get a dog in heaven, he's not going to get old like that and lose his sight and do things in the dining room that he shouldn't do. <laughs> Almost said it. Everything's going to be new, and it's going to stay. Can you imagine that? Your body. But I, I'm going to tell you what, you're going to get that at the rapture. 
You're going you're gonna to get a new glorified body, and it's going to stay new forever. Because, see, you're going to move into eternity at that point. Let me, let me make a point here. When you receive Jesus Christ, that's when you move into eternity. You don't get the glorified body yet, but you get the new nature. The new nature that he made new. He made it new, so it's never going to get old. That's another reason I don't believe you can lose your salvation. He creates a new nature in you. The new nature that has a passion for Jesus Christ, that has a passion for this word, that has a passion for eternity, that has a passion to dwell with him forever. That new nature never changes because it never gets old. Now your old nature is still hanging there with you. And it's going to do everything it can do to drag down your new nature. But that new nature is eternal. You're sealed with the Spirit forever and ever and ever and ever. You know, I hear people in Christendom, especially, talking about the creation that we, is recorded for us in Genesis, where God made, created the heavens and the earth. And he did it by his word. He made it all new by his word. Now, it's not going to, it obviously isn't going to stay new because it was cursed. It was made to be new forever. Then Adam and Eve sinned. But I hear people that say, God can't do that. In fact, I heard the leader of the largest Protestant, not Protestant, largest Christian denomination uh, in the world say, hey, God's not a genie, man. He, there's no way he could create the world uh, according to the account in Genesis. You can't believe that. That's a fairy tale. Let me tell you what, my words right here says these words are true and faithful. And if God can't create a new heaven, I mean, uh, he couldn't create the old heaven and the old earth, how can he create a new heaven and a new earth? And if he can't create an old heaven and an old earth, how can he create a new nature in me? How can I ever be redeemed? If I still have the old sin nature, I'm not going to make it to heaven. I've got to be changed. Jesus said, you must be born again. Well, let me tell you what. What God did in my life when he saved me was every bit as miraculous as God creating a new heaven and a new earth and an old heaven and an old earth. I mean, he changed me forever. He did it by his word. And I like the next line. Look at verse number six. And he said to me, it is done. It is done. Boy, don't you love it when the Lord says it is done? Whenever he says it's done, something really good has happened. It is done. When he says it, let me tell you, it's done. It is done. When God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis, remember what he said? He said, it is done. After six days, it is done. It, he said, it's beautiful. What I've created is beautiful. It's wonderful. It is done. It is done, and then he rested on the seventh day. But what did we do? We messed it all up. Adam, who was given that same choice that we've been given to either live for God or live for the devil, chose the devil, and look at what's happened to the world. But what did Jesus do? He came back to this earth as, as a man, and he came back to this earth, and he went to the cross, and he hung there for my sins, and he hung there for your sins. And when he had finished paying for our sins, you know what he said? It is done. It is done. It is finished. He had paid for, that means that there's no more paying for my sins. He paid for every one of my sins, past, present, and future. It is done. And then, what did we do? 
Did everybody get saved at that point? No, the world went right on rebelling against God, right on sinning, uh, right on doing their thing, right on serving the devil, right on living for hell. And what does God do? He's got to judge the world. He's got to judge sins and cl- judge sin and cleanse this world of sin. And then we go, you go back to Revelation chapter 17 and you go to the last judgment. And, and I'm sorry, Revelation 16, and you go to the last judgment, verse 17. And it says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. That's the last judgment. It is done. And now there's the old heavens, and the old earth had passed away. Uh, heaven has come down to earth. God has set his tabernacle to dwell with man forever and ever and ever, and he's made all things new. And what does he say? It is done. And who says it? The Alpha. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What, what is, when Jesus says, I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, what does he mean by that? Hey, I'm in it all. I'm in this thing from the start to the end. I'm in, well, I was in it when I created it, and I was in it when, when Adam lived, and when Abraham lived, and when uh, Jesus lived on this earth, when Martin Luther lived on this earth, I've been in it all. I'm in it in the 21st century right here in Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, until he finally says it is done. He's right in, until the Omega comes and, and this world is made right forever and ever and ever. He's right in the middle of it. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. And listen to what he says. He says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. To him who's really good, I'll let him drink of my water of life. To him who's really handsome, I'll let him drink of my water of life. To him who's really tall, I'll let him drink of my water, water of life. To him who thirsts, I will let him drink of my water of life. Anybody that thirsts, you can come. You can come and you can drink of the water of life. And and that fountain is open for everybody. And we don't have to wait to eternity to drink of that water. We can drink of that water now. When John finishes the book of Revelation, He gives an invitation in that book right there at the very end. And and he says, listen to verse number 17. He says, and the spirit and the bride says, come. Who's the bride? The church. The voice that we should give out in this world is not a voice of condemnation, but a voice of reconciliation. We're too quick to condemn people when all we got to say to them is come. Come. Do you thirst? I mean, if you thirst, come. And let him who hears what we say and what the Spirit says, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. It's free. The gospel's free. All you got to do is thirst. And I got to tell you, 
I see a lot of thirsty people everywhere I go. People in the church who, 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 who are satisfying their thirst with the things of this world. They're going to fountains that never, that never really satisfy the thirst. It, it's, it's, wine won't do it. TV won't do it. Movies won't do it. I mean, if you want peace and you want joy and you want contentment and you want fulfillment, then you've got to come. You've got to come to those waters of life. And if you don't have joy and you don't have peace, you don't have contentment, you don't have fulfillment, and you're thirsty, and I know there's times when I'm really thirsty spiritually, the, it, the reason is, we're, one simple reason, we're not coming. Because that fountain in heaven is flowing right now. And you can drink of those waters right now. And it costs you nothing. You were created as a human being with a choice. You can choose to drink of this world, which is death, and turmoil, and despair, and depression, or you can drink of the water of life, and you'll find contentment in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for I just thank you, Lord, just how good you are to all of us, that you give us all a future and a hope, Lord. Father, I just ask that you, you wake us all up, Lord, to, that trumpet's going to blow at any time. And, Lord, I believe there's going to be people left behind because they just really don't care. And, Lord, I, I just ask that every one of us examine our souls. So what waters are we drinking from, Lord? I mean, we get up every morning and, and just drink all we can get of this world, Lord. Is, is our day just full of quenching our thirst, trying to quench our thirst at, at the wells of, of pleasure and entertainment and, and work and all the things we do. Or, Lord, are we coming to you? And are we drinking of your life? It's free, Lord. It costs us nothing. All we have to do is make a choice. Father, I just ask that you, you move your spirit in this church in a special way, Lord, where we... Really, the most important thing in our life is, is our relationship with you. And Lord, the most important thing in our life is to hear from you. Lord, we hear from you through your word. Lord, I just ask you to, to, to bless the study of your word in the future at this church, Lord, so that we do just drink freely and fulfill our spirits, Lord, with your spirit. God, I just ask for a blessing on everyone here. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen.